Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, Tampa Bay Business Journal publisher and market president Ian Anderson welcomes People's Gas President Helen Wesley as we open our series highlighting Florida business leaders and sharing their insight. Helen, it's so great to have you here today as we launch and introduce our Florida Business Minds podcast to the world and shine light on some of the incredible business leaders across this ever-growing Florida business community. Before we get into it, since this is our first podcast, listeners may be tuning in and wondering, why am I here and what is this podcast all about? I'll hit on it quickly. The idea for this podcast was pretty simple. Each week across the state of Florida, we'll be having wide-ranging, in-depth conversations with a prominent CEO who is shaping the path for Florida's economic growth. And backing up just one step, for those who may not be familiar, I'm the publisher of our Tampa Bay Business Journal, and we're a news organization that covers the Tampa Bay business community closely. We cover CEOs, power brokers, startups, venture capital raises, and all things growth here in the Tampa Bay community. Now, we also have our South Florida Business Journal and our Orlando Business Journal and Jacksonville Business Journal, collectively called our Florida Business Journals, all doing the very same thing, covering the heartbeat of these growing local economies. So each week, one of our business journals will be having a conversation with a local CEO in their region, and we'll be featuring these interviews across all of the Florida Business Journal websites each week, as well as syndicating the series out to all major podcast platforms, really shining a light on the vibrant business community and the people that make up the driving force behind this uh, economic growth that we're having. This season, we have some really great episodes already lined up. We'll be talking with Jeff Finnick, who's the uh, chairman and governor of our Tampa Bay Lightning and a driving force behind Tampa Bay's Water Street development, uh, also noted philanthropists in the, in the community. Uh, we have Peggy Olin, who's CEO of One World Properties in Fort Lauderdale, John Corris, CEO of Tampa General Hospital and visionary for healthcare improvement and innovation uh, in the state of Florida and, and really renowned across the country. Sunira Madani, who's the CEO of Stax, one of the most exciting fintech companies in Florida. And after its most recent capital raise of $245 million, it is now uh, one of Florida's latest unicorn companies valued at over a billion. We have a thousand people a day moving to our sunshine state. Companies are relocating their headquarters. It is no longer a place to come and just retire. Even if Tom Brady tried, he unretired quickly. But this is a place that you come and start your career and grow a business. We'll kind of get into your vision for Florida and, and the importance of uh, economic growth in Florida. But first, taking a step back, you're president of Tico's People's Gas. Can you tell me a little bit about what People's Gas does here in Florida, as well as your role as president of the company? Sure. So all of what you said is true and exciting and is what makes Tampa Bay a very interesting place to live and work. And uh, it's definitely for the, the year and a half that I've been here been pleasantly surprising on many, many counts, including the really, really friendly, energized business community to come and be a part of. I've lived in, in lots of different places, and, and this is definitely the most friendly, open business climate um, that I've seen. And I think that's something to be really proud of for Floridians. 
So uh, Tico People's Gas is the largest local distribution company, natural gas company, in the state of Florida. We span the state of Florida, uh, and we've been in existence for a long time, nearly 100 years. So as a natural gas utility, we've been foundational to some of the growth in Florida as uh, the residential communities have spread across the state, so has the natural gas system that supports them. And then, of course, there are commercial customers, industrial customers, and all of that is linked by distribution systems and, and larger pipelines, flowing gas around the state of Florida. So we're, a, you know, we're in a position where we have over 430,000 customers. A, a large majority of those are residential customers. And uh, we are, in addition to you know, being a very, a very big part of all of the growth that you talked about in terms of people moving to Florida, all of the businesses and industry that's growing in Florida, many of those businesses and, and um, different industries are supported by natural gas as well. So not only are we helping to fuel the growth, but we're also doing it in a sustainable way because natural gas has a lower, a more viable way to get energy at a, a good sustainable cost into a lot of the industries that, that are helping the economy grow. So first time living in Florida, you're a year and a half in. What was your perception of Florida, you know, when the opportunity arose in, to, to come down here? And what has your experience been so far? Any surprises? Uh, I would say so. My perception going in was I'm Canadian and, you know, the state of Florida itself is, I think, roughly two thirds the size of Canada. So, you know, uh, first of all, there's a there's a scale difference there. A lot more people packed into a smaller geography. I think the average Canadian perception of Florida is, you know, Disney World and retirement. And I would say I didn't have that. I, we've done some research and made sure we understood what we were we were moving towards. But I would say the very, very pleasant surprise is just the breadth of industry here, the degree of entrepreneurship, the degree of can-do, the friendliness with which you know newcomers are welcomed, because that isn't always the case. There are lots of places, both in Canada and North America, and, and we lived in London, England, where it takes a long time to break in as an outsider. And so that's been a very, very pleasant surprise. I would say Tampa in particular, another dimension is just the, the youth and the energy. And I think that comes from having a lot of university centered here. And so the vibrancy of the population is also supported by all of the academia and the sports and the people that are fans of all of that. Americans in general are good fans. And so, you know, when you've got a whole bunch of sports and a whole bunch of universities, that just sort of combines to create a pretty active social welcome community. And during COVID, even, we saw some of that. And I'm just really, really pleased to be able to take advantage of, of all of that now um, that uh, COVID has meant things are much more open than they were. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about uh, how welcoming uh, the community is. I feel like everybody is is from somewhere, um, from upstate New York. But I seem to, I married a Florida girl, which means you're a Floridian, you know. So I found one of the natives. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned that you got here uh, really kind of during the pandemic. You came into the COO role with the company in 2020 during pandemic, and then assumed uh, the president role in 2021. 
Can you talk a little bit about that and what it's like to kind of onboard and come into such an uncertain time, but also leading through uncertainty in extraordinary times and, and how you, you know, what your thoughts were and what your approach was to do that? Sure. That's a, it's a really good question. And, and I have to be honest, there were people we told, so my husband and I, we have, we have two adult kids who are both in university up in, in Canada. And so this was definitely a, a family adventure. And my husband is a sports leadership consultant. So this was a big venture for him as well. He was shifting the, the base of his business and um, had, you know, is rebuilding it in lots of ways. And there were people we told about this change who thought we were crazy, crazy for doing it in the first place, crazy for doing it during COVID in the second place. And then there were other people who I think shared the same sense of excitement and adventure we did, which was we had been in the same place for 11 years, trying to make sure that our kids got through their schooling in in one continuous place because we'd moved around a lot when they were little. And we said, this is a great time to go and do something different. And what a great thing to be part of. The people's gas story is one of, you know, it's kind of a fascinating combination of things. It's a utility, which means that it has some infrastructure around it in terms of the business model, risk and reward parameters around safety, trying to make sure that you are serving your customers prudently and, you know, being an integral part of the economy and society. That's all very interesting uh, in and of itself. But you layer on top of that an incredible amount of growth because of the economy and an interest in growing in a sustainable way. So investing in things like renewable natural gas, liquefied natural gas, compressed natural gas, and supporting the shift of decarbonization in, in the economy as an enabler means that you get to, as the business leader, start doing things that your business has not done before. And I was very fortunate to come in at a time where some really bright thinking had happened several years before me to lay the groundwork for all of this. The regulator had been supportive of investing in these sustainable investments. So I came in at a time where we were able to to sort of start putting the meat on the bone a bit more and actually bring some of these things to life. And so from a career perspective, from a big picture perspective, the people's gas role uh, had everything you'd ever want, I think, in a job in terms of the growth and the excitement and the ability to be part of, of building something. From a you know, personal transition standpoint, uh, it was it was pretty grueling at times, honestly, because I started with the flat screen that you and I have mm-hmm. between us today with everybody. And I, I managed to meet some members of my team in person briefly at one point in the fall of 2020 when I joined. And then we went dark again, you know, back home, work from home. And I, I guess at, at that point, I had just decided that I've had success in every role that I've come into by putting people first and building relationships. And so I decided that if two-dimensional relationship building was what we were going to do, then two-dimensional relationship building was what we were going to do. So I had, a, I think, 40 or so conversations in the first month, month and a half, just systematically said, okay, who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to build a relationship? Who do I need to get to know? And just did that. And then that enabled much more building of my knowledge, uh, understanding of the people, the processes, the way things worked. And so just sort of steadily kept at that. 
And obviously there were moments in time where we were in the office. And so I basically said, any opportunity to be in the office, I'm going to be in. I'll take advantage of people coming by. And any person I happen to meet is, is one more than I met the day before. And just sort of systematically kept working my way around the organization. One big part that was missing for me, though, was being able to see what goes on in the field and get around the state. And so as soon as I was, I was able to do that, I got in the car and went around and, and met people. And for a company like ours, things happen, you know, at the coal face. They happen with the customer. They happen between our utility technicians and the customer. And so being able to go out and meet with our frontline workers made a big difference. And being able to see some of the projects that were being built made a big difference. You know, ultimately, the I think any transition into a company has its bumps. This one, in some ways, was more challenging than others. On the other hand, the advantage of, the, you know, the two-dimensional flat screen is that you don't have travel time in between. And so you can actually be more efficient about going out and seeing people. Now, it's not the same as having a meal or having a coffee, or, but it actually is, is not as bad as it as it could be. And I just decided I wasn't going to let it get in my way. Yeah. Is there anything you would have, looking back on it now and with you know having the benefit of hindsight, is there anything you would have done different, do you think, as you came into it? It's a good question. I, I think I probably would have, if I could do it over again, I, I probably would have tried to push the boundaries a little bit on getting out and seeing the operations a, a little bit sooner or in in shorter spurts. You know, we were very, very cautious from a COVID perspective. And so the difficulty in that is you don't want to put anybody else in an uncomfortable position, but I didn't know the state. And so even if I had, in retrospect, if I had done some touring of the state just to get a feel for the place, that that's probably one thing I would, I would do just to orient myself a little bit better. You can't go wrong with putting employees first, which sounds like that was really, you know, that was the mantra. And certainly now when... I mean, across all sectors, I mean, CEOs are really talking about not just attracting talent, about retaining talent and about creating that culture. What's Tico People's Gas approach regards to talent acquisition and really kind of building that workplace culture and being a employer of choice, I guess. We're all competing for talent. So how do you create that, that destination that, that folks want to be a part of? Yeah. And, you know, you, one of the questions I didn't really answer earlier was this, this issue of leading during uncertainty. And my goodness, it has been challenging over the last year and a half because we've been stopping and starting with COVID. And are we in the office? Are we not in the office? Are people wearing masks? Are they not wearing masks? Are we gathering and getting our teams together to at least have some social time along with the work? That's all been incredibly difficult to navigate. And we have tried very hard through that process to listen to our teams and, and understand how things were from their perspectives. And, you know, obviously through this whole process, the question of flexible work and remote work and, you know, do I have to be in the office? What is the office anyway? That's all been a very, very big and complex part of the conversation and has been central to the question you asked about employees and retention and talent development and, and those kinds of things. So we have, of all the things we have spent time talking about and really wrestled with over the last year and a half, it's been, what do we look like emerging 
from all of this because while we believe that being in the office is, is really important because it brings people together physically for conversation, to get to know one another, to keep tabs on one another, to create energy, to bounce off one another, all those kinds of things, we are also very cognizant of the fact that there's an element of flexibility that people have become accustomed to and really, really value. I heard somebody say the most valuable thing that you can give an employee these days is their time you know, their choice of how to use their time. And I I think there's something to that as a a working mother. If I hadn't had the ability to be flexible uh, during my years, I I would have really struggled. Now, the question of acquisition, retention, development um, is made more complicated by all of that because we have traditionally developed people on the job with a coach by their side, you know, if, if you're talking about the field, for instance. And, and honestly, not a lot of that changes in our field operations. In the office environment, um, it changes quite significantly if you allow more flexibility, more remote working, and you have to be more creative about your touch points and more thoughtful about tracking people's performance and helping them and, and those kinds of things. So we are trying to be flexible and progressive in all of that. We're trying to be very people-centric in terms of understanding our people and knowing what they need and giving them development opportunities. We are incredibly blessed by the growth that we have because growth creates opportunity. And there are lots of things that we're doing for the first time, which means we can say to some young, smart um, person who has a fantastic ability to, you know, to analyze data, please go take this problem, solve it for us and, and come back. And and that's a luxury that shrinking companies or companies that are plateaued really don't have in, this, in quite the same way. So we are trying to, to use the platform that we have of growth and, you know, entrepreneurial growth into new areas to help developed people and to create opportunity that then means people have meaningful work. This is a great place to be. They like being um, around others and that in and in itself is retentive. Over and above, of course, the need to be market from a, a pay perspective and, and provide the right benefits. We've got work to do in that arena where you know, we're going to look at whether or not we've got the right benefits package. Are we serving our employees best in that respect? and lots of work to do in systematizing some of what I just talked about because as a growing company, we're kind of catching up with ourselves all the time, it feels like. Tico People's Gas President, Helen Wesley, joining us. In our next segment, she reveals her vision for diversity, equity, and inclusion in a male-dominated field. As Florida Business Minds continues... People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy, committed to being a leader in Florida's economic growth and to delivering clean and efficient natural gas solutions in a responsible way. More at floridasenergy.com. One of the uh, key components to workplace culture is just creating an environment where team members and employees can come to work and be their authentic selves. Uh, and, you know, really and creating an inclusive environment. And I know from our conversations, so Tico People's Gas has launched some employee resource groups and ERGs, and it's uh, it's a passion 
uh, and something that you're really kind of uh, spearheading and, and leading. Can you talk a little bit about that and the importance of, of just having that, that inclusive environment and a diverse work environment as well? Sure. So I have always worked in male-dominated environments. I, I came out of the resource sector in Alberta, um, worked in, in the UK in the same sector, worked in Pennsylvania in the same sector, and it's just traditionally uh, very, you know, very male. So I've always been attuned to being either the youngest or the youngest female um, or the only female in the room or on a team. And so that has been something that I have been focused on trying to help others experience differently than I did in some cases. And along with that, over the last probably 10 to 15 years, has come a real focus on trying to make sure that we have different nationalities in, you know, around the table. We have people of, of all kinds of backgrounds and experience with voices. So, you know, one of the things that's important to me is it, it's you can try to tick boxes by making sure that you have diversity represented uh, in, in terms of race or gender. But if you're not creating an environment where everybody around the table feels that they have a voice, then you really haven't done a whole lot because those people won't stay. So the whole concept of creating an inclusive environment that is retentive and that brings the best out in all of those people is really what, what my focus is. The employee resource groups, uh, again, something that predated me, I can't take credit for it, I just want to keep trying to support, are really fueled by the passion of employees. Um, they're having the conversations that they think are important and what we need to do is create an avenue through which they can continue to educate everybody about what's important and what an inclusive culture actually looks and feels like. We actually just had this conversation yesterday at our, our leadership team table and got some feedback that there's some work that we need to do in a, in a few areas. And so I'm, I'm undertaking to, to have some more conversations so that I can understand what the issues are a little bit better. I think there's a it is possible to make yourself feel really comfortable because you're not hearing any noise. And in my mind, if you're not hearing noise, that usually means that people don't feel comfortable talking. And so I would much rather hear about problems, hear about issues, and then be able to solve them. So we have to make sure that that feedback loop is, is alive and well. Helen, moving here in the midst of a pandemic, it can be difficult to connect with other business leaders that are busy, you know, that are really trying to manage and navigate their own way through it. How did you go about really connecting across such a large state with very different economies, but really needing to connect with business leaders as you're coming in in a very uh, extraordinary time? It's a great question. And, and honestly, I have to say, I, this is one place where I think I, I used COVID a little bit to my advantage and said, you know, what I want to do is really get to know my organization first and my people and understand my context. And then in due course, I will expand my circle. And I was fortunate to have the COO role, uh, the time in the COO role to, to do that. Come, you know, taking on the, the president role, I started to participate in some organizations like the Tampa Bay Partnership, which is truly uh, phenomenal in terms of, of networking and, and great quality people that you can connect with and do something on behalf of the community. And then a real difference maker was participation in Leadership Florida. I had the opportunity to go a couple of months ago to, to Naples for the, the executive program and spent three days with some business leaders 
got great exposure to some of the fantastic businesses in Florida, had a great presentation from the, the Chamber of, of Commerce. And from that, have, have made some relationships that I, I know will be worthwhile, but also just got a bit of a, a flavor for what this, this state really has to offer and um, the way people connect and the way they support one another. So uh, I'm very thankful for that organization. Yeah, it's a great program. And, and really, it does a great job of connecting business leaders from across the entire state, which is not easy, but it's a renowned program. Absolutely. Switching gears here. So not just Tampa, but the state of Florida has really had this incredible influx of venture capital, but really startup activity and, and these, this innovation economy in Florida has become a hotbed of activity. Innovation is something alive and well and very much pushing the energy sector as well. Can you talk a little bit about how is innovation impacting your business, but also what the, speak a little bit about the energy future for Florida and how Tico People's Gas is innovating to, uh, to help push forward? Sure. So innovation is an interesting word because I think often people think of it only as kind of cutting edge in technology. And that's absolutely important and a, a very big part of, of what we think about. And I'll, I'll talk about that. But in my mind, innovation actually has to be part of your day-to-day and your bread and butter as well. And, it, and it's part of getting better as a company. It's, it's part of ongoing process improvement. And, you know, that whole notion of if you don't continuously improve, you're going to get left behind because that's what everybody else is doing. So we think of it both from the, the perspective of, of the, you know, the, the technology and the venturing out into the new, as well as the making of today better. So we're doing both ends of the spectrum. And as I, I mentioned earlier, we're catching up with ourselves a lot as we're growing. We have a lot of processes that need improving, that need fine tuning. We need to use more digital means to be more efficient. And so, you know, we're working on systems implementations to help with that, to make sure that we can continue to be an efficient operator, which obviously from a customer perspective is helpful because it means that the delivery of our services are um, cost competitive and, uh, you know, good for the customer. On the technology and and sort of leading cutting edge end of things, that's where things like renewable natural gas and compressed natural gas, liquefied natural gas, hydrogen and carbon sequestration are part of the future. So we have investments ongoing in compressed natural gas, serving liquefied natural gas customers, renewable natural gas, and we are the, the first builder of renewable natural gas facilities in Florida, which is an exciting thing for us to be doing. And that is supporting the innovative things like taking dairy farm manure and converting it to renewable natural gas to reduce emissions and fuel businesses. Pretty cool. And landfills are another example of where that, that kind of technology is being used. So as I mentioned, our regulator has been progressive in enabling regulated companies to invest in these kinds of technologies to support those fuels being uh, produced. And so we're very fortunate to be able to take advantage of that and participate in helping Florida become a greener economy overall. Things like hydrogen and carbon sequestration, we are continuing to research, keep an eye on. The cost profile of those, obviously, as is, is usually the case, can be cost prohibitive at the early stages of, of its life cycle. But 
we're watching, we're paying attention. We are, are paying close attention to our sister utility in New Mexico, who's you know doing some research around that to make sure that we're learning where we can. But you know, big picture, I would say the the most innovative and progressive and at scale thing that we're doing currently is our investment in renewable natural gas. And we're very excited by that. That that has come to life in 2022 as we put shovels in the ground and started working on the facilities that we're investing in. Great. So as we wrap up, just looking ahead, what's the most exciting opportunity for Florida, the most exciting that you really see in Florida's future? And also, what's the challenge that you think that we'll also have to address as we naturally deal with Florida's growth? One exciting thing and then one thing that may keep us up at night because it's a potential challenge. Can we start with the what keeps me up at night so we can end on a high note? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you see. Yes. <laughs> so the the thing that keeps me up at night, honestly, is people. And, and it, it comes back to the conversation we were having earlier about the growth in Florida, coupled with what is a very heated talent market, coupled with what feels like a, a section of the population that's just dropped out of the workforce completely. So there's a real gap between what we need to grow and support growth, even just, you know, in sheer numbers, let alone thinking of qualifications and training and what's available. And so the what keeps me up at night is trying to solve that problem. And so we've just sort of recently changed our orientation around that and are thinking, you know, can't boil the ocean. We need to zero in on, on what our most critical challenges are and we need to take an innovative approach to solving that problem, which also includes trying to come at it from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. So are there pockets of the workforce that we're really just not even tapping? And the answer to that is yes. So if you looked at our field staff, you'd find it's largely male. That's just traditional. But there are lots of jobs in our field that women can, there's no reason women can't do those jobs. So we need to figure out how to make sure that we are accessing more of the workforce than, than we currently do. So talent, absolutely, very big challenge and trying to tackle it in a creative way. In terms of most exciting, I would say when I look at Florida and I I hear about the growth and I see the, the size of the state and the, the different dimensions of the state, I think the location, the continued sort of Southern progression of industry and manufacturing combined with transportation is is really, I mean, that's just a phenomenal opportunity for the state. So when you think about marine transportation, you think about ground transportation, you think about, I think the, the stat is 100 million people can be reached within 24 hours by ground from Florida. That's phenomenal. So when I think about what lies ahead, I think about the, the combination of all of the industry, all of the manufacturing, and then all of the transportation that comes with that, which that's not a flash in the pan type of industry growth. That's sustainable. That's infrastructure. That is people, jobs, housing, uh, hospitals, you name it, uh, that comes with that kind of growth. Helen, Thank you so much for spending time with us and, and also for Tico People's Gas Support in launching this statewide podcast. Uh, we're excited. We know, you know, in each of our cities, it will be 
speaking to leaders, uh, like I mentioned before, our John Corris here in Tampa, but also Eddie Ariola, CEO and chairman of Apollo Bank in Miami. And many of these leaders in our respective communities, we know all about them. Ria Law, the USF president, who has been a leader here in Tampa for decades, we all know and have read for years about Ria, but the business community in Orlando or Miami or Jacksonville may not have. So we're so excited to connect this state and to highlight some of these great things that are happening in in, uh, different regions of the state. Um, But we couldn't do it without the support of Tico People's Gas and and, uh, we appreciate leaders like you as well. Thank you very much. And a big shout out to you and all of the other welcoming business leaders in Tampa. Tico People's Gas President, Helen Wesley joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals and brought to you by Tico People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy.